0: fixing to preach but that's obviously the Lord so I like when I see that. Esther chapter 8 in your Bible if you want to stretch your legs here real quick and stand we'll read uh, the first six verses and then uh, we'll get into the passage. Esther chapter 8 verse number 1 On that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman the Jews enemy unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king for Esther had told what he was unto her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. And Esther spake yet again before the king, and fell down at his feet, and besought him with tears, to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite, and his device that he devised against the Jews. Then the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther, so Esther arose and stood before the king, and said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the things seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes. Let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews which are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? Brother Bema, would you ask God to bless the preaching, please? Lord, thank you for this day you've given us, Lord. The opportunity to meet here in your house, Lord, and just uh, be with Pastor today. Uh, give each and every one here uh, what we need to hear and get out of this message today, Lord. And I'm just so thankful that you watch over your people, you, uh, you preserve them, you lift them up, and you rescue us out of times of trouble, Lord. There's Thanks. a lot of needs in the church uh, today, Lord, a lot of people that are going through things, and uh, I just ask that you touch them, uh, give them a hand of comfort, Lord, and uh, be with everything that's done here and done downstairs in the Sunday schools and the nursery, Lord. We just give you thanks, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Continuing with the story here in chapter number 8, I know it's been a couple of weeks uh, since we've been in this, this thought process, but obviously you know the story and how it's gone with the story of Esther. Uh, this poor girl gets snatched up and taken off into, basically into captivity. Obviously Israel is dominated by an opposing force and the king's wife Vashti makes him angry. And, and so he's looking for, he does away with her and he's looking for a replacement. And of all the, all the young women in the province, of all the beautiful young women, Esther gets picked to be that replacement pretty amazing thing to see god take care of her because if she had been one of the girls that had come through the lineup and not been picked by the king her life would have been truly over because in that culture and at that time once you've been picked by the king to be you know one of the prospects to be the queen You don't get to just go back to your life after you spent some time with the king like that. You don't get to just go back to the world and go back home and find a young man that hopefully you're in love with and get married and have children and move on with your life. Actually, what would have happened to her is she would have wound up stuck in his harem, living in the house for the women, and maybe never be called back in to see the king again. Maybe she would be, but she would not have had her life. Her life would have just been completely hijacked and gone with no future whatsoever to speak of. And yet, God is working in Esther's life for a purpose. We had talked about, and I I guess if I was going to think about a theme for the book of Esther, the theme would be the unseen hand of God. And I, I like the parallels because although the prophecies kind of hidden in it in typology is prophesying about a time that doesn't really apply to us. The way the book is is kind of uh, practically applied seems to apply to us extremely sharply, extremely appropriately for the day and age that you and I live in. Because the name of God is not even mentioned in the book of Esther at all. We already talked about that. I'm just reminding you. And it's interesting because you don't really see any miracles of God being done, nothing super out of the ordinary, like what often happened for the Jews in the Old Testament. And we know it's going to happen again in the future, tribulation and obviously the millennium, you see him ruling and reigning there. But we live in this time period in between where really God's not moving in dreams and visions and all the rest of that stuff. There's not a lot of miracles being done. God is working quietly and silently behind the scenes through his word and through his holy spirit spirit he's definitely working but if we're not careful we'll go through our life and not realize that the hand of God is there in his present and is moving and working in our lives and I think that's one of the greatest things that the book of Esther seems to manifest as you study it is even though you may not see anything super special God is still working and in control that that encourages me I would love to have something crazy wouldn't you now let me just say real quick, there have been a time or two in my life where God's done something a little extra special for me. I've seen some things that are obviously, wow, like mind-blowing, like that was God. That only could have been God. Like, like a miracle, and I'm not talking about healing and all that stuff, but I'm just saying like, man, that was amazing. God was in that. And boy, I mean, to me, those times are wonderful. They're great. They're exciting. They keep me going, and I, I look for more of those <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. I want to see more of that happen in my life. But the reality is in this day and age, that's not the majority of the Christian life. The vast majority of the Christian life is honestly just practical, real, normal, ups and downs and struggles and fears and pressures and... Stress and good times and bad times, and you got to accept the bad times because we all accept the good times, don't we? And you got to remember in the bad times when things aren't going your way that really you can't define yourself and your life and your emotions by this time period of my life because look at all God's done for me in the past. I think that's why God does some great things for us so that when reality does hit and life in a sinful world is pressuring us we know like, listen, this, this isn't the end, more good times are coming. In those ups and downs, it is very, very important for us to remember that the hand of God is working behind the scenes. What I think is illustrated in chapter eight that I want to talk about this morning is is really let God work it out. Now I'm gonna preach about something this morning that to be honest with you, I don't think I got this down yet. I would like to think that I'm making progress. I, I'm trying to make progress. I, I have a personality. Captain Obvious. <laughs> we all have different personalities. And for some people, certain things are harder than others. Particularly for my personality, it is very hard for me to step back and take my hands off of things that matter to me. I mean, I, my church matters to me. It is hard for me sometimes to step back and just take my hands off of it and say, listen, God, you're going to have to work this out. I'm not going to do anything about this situation. I'm not going to force this thing. I'm not going to handle this thing. I need to let God work it out. That's hard for me to do. Another thing that's hard for me to do is just let God work things out in my family. My family matters to me. And I, I don't like being put in positions where I'm not in control. I don't like having things in my life that I can't fix. Do you understand that? I mean, when you're handed a situation or handed something, it's like, okay, this is a problem. The first thing that my brain does is when I look at an issue or I look at a problem or I look at a setback or I look at a difficulty, I immediately start thinking, okay, so from here, what's the best next step? Where do I go with this now? All right, I'll deal with whats what it is, but I'm not going to accept what it is and just sit back and let it work itself out. I want to figure it out. I want to fix it. A lot of that has to do with being male, gentlemen. And a lot of that can have to do with personality. We want to fix stuff. We want to control things. Other people maybe with a different personality that aren't as controlling, which is a bad fault to have if it's not controlled. If you're controlling, learn to control it. (laughs) Anyways, uh, uh, let's move on. The opposite personalities can kind of sometimes just get to where they're like, what's the point? Why even try? While the one guy can't really stop and let God do what God's going to do in God's timing and let God work it out, the other personality types may be a little bit more like, well, God's not going to work it out anyways. Well, what's the point? And, and really, on both ends of the spectrum, you have a real problem because when you're always trying to fix what needs to be fixed, guess what's going to happen? You're going to make a bigger mess of the problem sometimes. I have a will for my life. I have a desire for my life. Esther in the story had a great desire for her people. She had a will for her own life. She realized that, listen, I'm going to have to put my life on the line for this. And there was a decision that she had to make. She was even looking out for herself at one point because Mordecai had to say, listen, don't think that just because you're in there, you're going to get away. You're going to perish with us. Who knows if thou art brought here for such a time as this. God might have set you up to be in this place because God wants to do something with you. And she had to make a decision that she's going to step up to the plate. Think about being Mordecai. This thing has spun out of control. I mean, not only are we in captivity, but of all people, the young girl that I raised from a child who's a family member of mine, she gets picked and now she's up and I'm, I'm completely out of control. I can't even get it. I can't protect her. I can't help her. There's nothing I can do. Dads, could you imagine that feeling? Talk about torture. I love her. I would die for her. I love her with all my heart. And I cannot help her. I cannot protect her. Think about the position Mordecai is in. Hey, aren't you glad you got a God in heaven? That can take care of things and work things out when you can't. See, I think the story this morning is really a great example to us of learning to let God work it out. Notice in the passage though, here's the interesting thing Because this is what we all do And I really, I really want to try to get this point home to you Because I think we do ourselves and our family And our, and our, and our brothers and sisters in Christ A lot of damage sometimes And getting so super spiritual that we're unbiblical Here's the point that I'm making We always like to say the devil's after me I think the devil's just I mean, it's just gotta be the devil When you get to chapter 8, the adversary who Haman would typify the devil is gone. The adversary is out of the picture, but the mess is still on their plate. Think about that for a minute. I think we do ourselves a disservice and our children a disservice when we say, well, all these things are happening because we're serving Jesus Christ and because we're trying to do right. And yes, there are times when you may be dealing with some spiritual supernatural resistance. Yes, I'm sure there's times that the devil does deal with us and try to hurt us or attack a church and all the rest. I'm sure that happens. But I think too often we get a little bit too obsessed with that. And it's almost a little bit arrogant sometimes to be saying all the time, well, the devil after me like really you're that big of a fish huh I'm not trying to be mean or belittling but come on if you stop and look at the world around you aren't there a lot of lost people that have a lot of big problems aren't there a lot of people whose lives are a complete shipwreck and they could not care about Jesus Christ they could care less about him they're a mess and they're having problems too Aren't there Christians that are mediocre, that are just kind of like, don't really care too much about the Lord, but they're a Christian and they use God for their own benefit and all that kind of stuff, you know, the psychological self-help of Jesus in church, but that have a lot of problems. Aren't there also some very dedicated Christians that are serious about God who have a lot of problems? See, the picture is, you live in a sinful world. And the problem is, you're not escaping the fact that you live in a sinful world. And as a result of living in a sinful world, there are things coming your way that you cannot control. We all have to deal with death. Sooner or later. Every person in this room is sooner or later going to have to deal with death. Now you think about that. See, my own death doesn't bother me. But the thoughts of death of people that I love that's worse. The devil's after me. No. You know what you got? You got a law that you're living under. And it's not going to go away. So life gets tough from time to time. I'm not trying to be too depressed in this morning. It's already a little like winter's coming. That's kind of like the feeling I got when I came in here today. The flu's starting to go around again. Don't worry. Okay. If you got a really bad fever and you're vomiting everywhere please do stay home. If you're spewing green puke and we're all going to think you need to be exercised when you get to church, that kind of deal. But if you got the sniffles and a sinus headache, you know, be respectful, bump elbows. But let's just, for 6,000 years, people have been getting the flu and the cold and a sinus headache. Anyways, we just didn't always run to the hospital as soon as we thought we were going to die because their sinuses are hurting you know what I'm saying so the the, the news is going to be telling you that you know the hospitals are packing out again and all that just I would like to go interview everybody in the house Well, say so why are you here honey okay great oh you have a you have a fever how long your sinuses burn go home I mean I, I mean I'm really sorry about that you know <laughs> sorry I just had to wake you up because you've been all down this morning You've got to realize that life in a sinful world, and I'm not making light of people that really got sick and really died. You understand that, right? But the panic and the paranoia begins to build up, and people that aren't dying think they're dying. Back on track. Life in a sinful world's tough. You know what you and I need to learn? We need to learn to let God work things out. You ever notice how the Bible says, Let's patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You know what stinks? Is the process of patience. What you can easily overlook when you read that verse real fast is it says, Let patience have her perfect work. So that right there, that phrase tells you that there is a time period of problems. A time period of pressure. A time period of discomfort a time period of fear, a time period between when you get into captivity or called out by the king to show up at the palace and when you see what God was actually going to do and trying to work out in your life, there's a time period in the middle where you're very uncertain, you're very afraid, you're not sure how, it doesn't look good, and you're under a lot of pressure. And God says that time period in your life is a period that you need to develop you and strengthen you and change you. The problem is in that time period, we're going to have a temptation to begin working things out for ourselves. We're going to have a temptation to start trying to control the moving pieces of the puzzle to make sure the picture that comes out is exactly what we want it to be. And we can't possibly grasp, know, or understand what Almighty God is trying to do, not only in our lives, but in the lives of people around us. We have to get back off, get some patience, and allow God to do what God is doing and let Him work things out. Now Haman's off the scene, but God is not done working. You'll notice a few things in the passage. First of all, you'll notice that God is the one that promotes, and He promotes for our good. Look at verses 1 and 2. On that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman the Jew's enemy unto Esther the queen. So now all of a sudden, this man Haman that the king had promoted to highest honor in the nation, he all of a sudden gets a demotion and... Esther, the queen, gets a promotion. She gets placed over his house. God Almighty did that in God's time. What's very interesting to me is that God did not do this sooner. Because if God had done this sooner, we could have avoided all the mess that happened. If the king had immediately just got Esther in there, Mordecai in there, heard about Mordecai, and put Mordecai in Haman's position, Haman would have never had the leverage or the power or the control to do what Haman was doing. Why did God allow it to play out this way? What a bizarre thing how, okay, now you're promoting me, Lord. I mean, I appreciate it, but I could have used a promotion a little while ago. And it would have saved me a lot of heartbreak if you'd have done this before all this happened. But then you and I wouldn't have anything to learn from this morning verse 1 and Mordecai came before the king for Esther and told what he uh, before the king for Esther and told what he was under her and the king took off his ring which he had taken from Haman and gave it to unto Mordecai and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman you know what I find interesting Haman promoted himself right yeah. wasn't Haman always trying to manipulate everything to get himself in the right position He was so obsessed with his own greatness that when Mordecai wouldn't bow, he got angry and bitter and furious. And here is the entire kingdom's bowing to Haman, but one guy won't. And his obsession was that one guy that wouldn't bow to him. His spirit was so far off, it wasn't even funny. Rather than looking and seeing all that God had done for him, he's focused on the one person that won't respect him. That was his kryptonite. That was what got Haman. He's trying to promote himself. You got a generation nowadays of people that always want to promote themselves. I don't mean to constantly beat this thing, but it just does need to be pointed out. iPhone, YouTube, everything nowadays is all focused around you, 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 I, 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 me, me, me. Even grown men, grown men, you know, in the gym working out and they're standing there in the mirror. You're watching a grown man I'm like a big old massive beard, you know, muscles, veins popping everywhere, kind of. To, to post a, I'm like, if I'm behind him, I make a dirty look and stare at him. You don't know where this stuff's going. I don't know how many of you might happen to, they know, two people removed from everybody you know, that kind of deal, you know. I want to be like, if I'm on his Instagram or his Facebook, that's Preacher, look at him, oh my goodness, Preacher's vomiting in the background. (laughs) It's a bizarre world that you're living in. Our children are from the very beginning being brainwashed with getting everybody's attention and look at me and see me and notice me, and I am telling you right now, that'll mess your life up. Promoting yourself. But guess what? God will never promote you before you're ready. I don't want a promotion that's going to ruin me. I don't want a promotion that's going to ruin my family. I don't want a promotion that's going to ruin my church. Brother Rob doesn't even realize it, but he helped me with this. Because from the beginning, I mean, from the beginning of this ministry, he's always prayed, Lord, grow the church as you see fit. That's been his, his line, as you see fit. And I I was never praying that way. My deacon's more spiritual than I am. I was never praying that way. I was praying, God, grow the church. God, grow the church. God, help us to reach souls. God, help us to reach more people. God, grow the church. Grow the church. Grow the church. And he's always praying, Lord, we pray you grow this church as you see fit. You know, in that Rob voice, that Mr. Steady, like, you know, kind of guy you really need in your corner throughout the 30, 40, 50 years of life, you know, that voice. God, grow the church as you see fit. And I'm about to smack him. I'm, t- I'm tired. Stop saying as you see fit, Rob. God grow the church. You know what I've begun to realize? I don't want God to grow the church. I want him to grow the church as he sees fit. Why? Well, because with that, when you're the pastor, it's a, it's, it's a promotion. It really is a promotion. Oh, the parking lot's full. Oh, you're the pastor? You know what? I don't need any promotions that are going to get in between me and God. I don't need any promotions that are going to get in between me and my walk with Jesus Christ. I don't need any promotions that my church isn't ready for. I don't need any promotions my family isn't ready for. I want God to promote me. And I'm telling you, God can and God will. But God will work all that out in God's time. And when God works it out, he'll do it for your benefit and his glory. And it won't wreck you like it wrecked Haman. From the beginning. When I would have people come into the church that were gifted or talented or had an ability. It was like, you can do what? Okay, I want you to do this and I want you to do this and I'm plugging people in trying to like get that thing going because man, if you've got great talent at the piano, if you've got great singing talent, if you've got the right personalities in the right place, it, it can really grow the church. You know what I figured out? None of that works. I, I, you know, I, well, I want to join the church because I want just, to just time out. We don't need anybody joining the church because they need a position. What does that say to you if I want you to join my church because of what you can give to my church? Does that not tell you that I'm using you? What does that say to you, like from a pastor's heart, what kind of pastor do you have if it's like, oh, please come join my church because I need you to do, I need you. Parents, that ain't the way you raise your kids, is it? You don't raise your kids for what they do for you. You raise your kids because you care about helping your kids, right? Shouldn't it be the same way in church? Shouldn't your pastor say, listen, I just want to feed you the word of God and let's see what God does. God will put you in a proper position. God will grow the church. God will, as the thing grows, hey, listen, it will naturally happen. But the primary thing is not, first of all, the position or the promotion. You've got to learn to just back off and let God do what God's good. Let God work your life out. Be faithful to Him. In his timing, He'll work it out. Just like you did for Mordecai. Now here, Mordecai is head over Haman's household. Go with me. Keep your finger here in Esther. Go quick with me to Psalms chapter 75. Let me show you one of the greatest passages in the Bible about how to get promoted. Psalm chapter 75. Look down with me, if you would, at verse number 4. I said unto the fools, Deal not foolishly. And to the wicked... Lift not up your horn, the horn. Lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. So now notice in the context of the verse I'm going after, fools are obsessed with being lifted up. A horn in the Bible is a type of power. Fools are obsessed with being lifted up. Fools have a stiff neck toward God. What they want is promotion. What they want is is to, to climb the ladder what they want is to get somewhere. So their stiff neck, that's a stubbornness against God and against God's will. It's like, I want what I want and I want it now. It's the I wills of Lucifer. And it's embedded in your human nature. Now look at the next verse. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. You see what direction is missing? Yeah, you know why? That's where God dwells. But God is the judge. Now watch what he does. He putteth down one and setteth up another. For in the land of the for the hand of the Lord there's a cup, and the wine is red, it is full of mixture, and he poured out the same, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. But I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. You know what that thing is associated with? It's associated with the judgment of God. God putting somebody down and the blessing of God God lifting somebody up Haman had lifted himself up and guess what God did with him God put him down but Mordecai sat in the background and was faithful and just rode out the storm and just waited. And I'm sure he was fasting and he was praying and it didn't look good and he wasn't sure how it was going to work out. But he just waited on God, didn't run from God, didn't fight against God, didn't push it, didn't put his hands in it to try to work it out for himself or for his people or for his, his cousin there that he had raised his entire life. He didn't try to work all that out. He just stood back and just let God do what God was going to do. He let God work it out. And guess what God did when God saw a man that was faithful? God worked it out. Promotion. Let God promote you in God's time. Let God vindicate you in God's time. You know what's funny to me is Mordecai seemed okay with Haman's promotion. He didn't bow to him. But he didn't squawk about it either. He watched his enemy get promoted. And never one time do you find Mordecai complaining about it. He just waited on God. He knew God is a judge, and he knew his God will do what God's going to do when God's ready, and a man cannot get away with doing wrong. Eventually, it catches up with him. And so while he saw what seemed to be inconsistent, what he saw what seemed to be unfaithful, what he saw what seemed to be working against him, and, his, and the girl he raised like a father, and his people, and everything else, while he's watching it all escalate out of control, he sits back and waits on God, and God works it out by the time you get to chapter number 8. And the enemy has gone, but the mess is still on their plate. Notice the second thing. Look at verse 5. Esther comes in here before the king, and what this is, is this is a type of your prayer life. When it comes to letting God work things out, folks, we need to really up the ante in our prayer lives. Look at how she prays to the king in verse 5, and she says, if it please the king. And if I found favor in his sight, and the things seem right before the king, And I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews which are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? Now, now just stop for a quick second. We, We read that passage, and we just think, how can I endure to see the destruction of my people? Or how can I do it to see the destruction of my kindred? I want, you to, I want you to imagine right now where you're sitting. I want you to imagine that somebody is coming in with a bunch of soldiers and they're going to kill everybody in this room. They're going to go to your house. They're going to get your wife. They're going to get your ki- children. They're going to kill Your entire family. Talk about one family member dying being more than a person can even handle. Everybody's getting wiped out. That's the situation she's in when she's going before the king to pray. You gotta get a hold of the distress this girl is under, the pressure that she's under, the situation that has escalated out of control. She goes in before that king as a type of us going before Jesus Christ in prayer, before going to, before God in prayer. And here's what shocks me about her prayer. Watch it. She's praying according to the will of the king. Look at verse 5. If it pleased the king. Instead of going in there saying, listen, how could you? What have I ever done? I'm the queen. You love me. You picked me out of all the women in the entire kingdom. I've not displeased you. You've given me my desires up till this point. You took care of Haman. Why aren't you reversing all this? This isn't fair. This isn't right. What have those poor people done? He's a psychopath and they've done nothing. They submitted to your kingdom. They pay their taxes. They're good people. This ain't right. Have you ever prayed that way? okay, maybe you didn't pray that way, but you thought that way. Yeah. When you're thinking about him and what he's doing and not doing, you might as well pray that way. Right. She says, if it please the king. Man, to get a prayer life like that. To say, God, I, I I, I don't like this situation, and it's a real mess, and I'm in complete distress, and I'm really frustrated with all that's going on, but, but God, your will is what's important. If you would be pleased to hear me, God, here's my desire. Here's my request. God, please listen to what I'm asking you to do. If it please the King, you and I need a prayer life that is focused on pleasing God more than pleasing ourselves, and if we can ever get to that point, we will see the hand of God work miracles in our lives. You will rejoice in the end. You will be grateful for all God's done because God is a good God and not set out to destroy any of you, but to help you and to bless you and to do something in your life. Amen. The problem is not the problems. The attack of the devil is not the situation and the circumstances because that stuff happens to everybody. And when we start compa- comparing battle scars and wounds and complaining and getting that attitude and that spirit about our lives and the issues of our lives... We're really in a bad spot because there's always somebody that can walk up on the conversation and say, oh, what are you crying about? Oh, you think you got it rough? Look at my life. Let me tell you my story. If you've been through what I've been through, you wouldn't be sane. at least I still got somewhat of a mind together. See that that's dangerous stuff we got to be willing to step back and say, listen, God, I, I, I don't like what I'm dealing with here, but what I want is your will. You're going to have the problems either way, and it's not always the devil coming after you. Here's where the devil steps into the picture. When things happen that happen to everybody, but it happened to you this time, he shows up to say, how could a loving God let something like that happen to you? How could this be God's will? Why didn't God stop that? I mean, I thought when Haman was gone, these problems were going to go away, and you thought God answered your prayer, and you thought it was getting better, but it ain't getting any better. It's getting worse. What What kind of a God? That's demonic. Not the stuff that's happening to me. What she did in order to let God work it out is she went right to the king, and she said, if it please you focus being on what makes the king happy tell you you want to get the victory over the devil when he's coming after you that's the way to do it number two notice in her prayer she's seeking for his acceptance and if I have found favor in his sight you know what I want I want the acceptance of God I really do I, I want to know that what I'm praying is something that pleases God. I mean, what is the point in me getting down on my face and talking to God about my problems and talking to God about my desires and talking about God about my dreams and talking to God about my church family if I'm not accepted to him when I'm doing it? Right. What is the point in exercising a spiritual discipline like prayer if my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? See, more importantly than even me getting an answer to prayer is, God, how am I doing? Are you accepting me? Am I in the place in my mind and in my heart and in my spirit that you want me to be in? If I have found favor with you, God, that's more important than you answering my prayers. My way is, God, are you pleased with me? Have you ever asked God that? I won't go into the details, but man, recently I had just a situation, did not feel right. I just didn't feel good. I didn't feel good about any of it. And I sat down and I, I asked God, I said, I, did, I, did I do right? Because I didn't feel like I did right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I, didn't, I wasn't you know, smoking dope or anything like that, okay? I didn't shoot nobody. There's no bodies buried anywhere, nothing like that. But I just felt like, man, that was a mess. But I really thought I did what God wanted me to do. But afterwards, I wasn't thinking... That it went right. You follow me? I said God. I think I did what you wanted me to do. Did I please you? And that's a good question to ask. Be ready for the answer. I ain't going to tell you what answer he gave me. Because that's between me and him. But I'm just saying. When you really want to know. He'll tell you. If I've found favor in thy sight. When's the last time you asked God. God do I have favor in your sight? You know what I love about God? He's fair to all his kids. If you want him, you got him. You know why people don't go to heaven when they die? There's one reason they don't want to. He made it so simple to get saved. He did everything that needs to be done by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross of Calvary. And he says, You just got to call on me to ask. People go to hell because they don't want to accept God. If you want God, if you've trusted Him as your Savior already and you want Him, you think you're not going to find Him? What kind of father do you think He is? You see, her, her prayer in the desperate moment is so spot on, no wonder God works it all out for her. Look at another thing in this request to the king. She's seeking it according to the purposes of the king. She said, and the things seem right before the king. She said, listen, if I'm in your will, if I have favor with you, and if this makes sense to you, if this seems right before you, you know why so many of our prayers don't get answered? You know why how... So often in our lives, rather than working out the problem, rather than God doing something and bringing an answer, rather than God helping us with our children, our marriage, our work, our sin struggles, our mind, our emotions, all the things that come into life, rather than God actually doing something for us, it gets worse over time. Because we're not praying like this. We're not looking at the thing and saying, God, what is your purpose? If, it, if the thing is pleasing, if the things seem right before you, God, here is what I want. You go ahead, you give, you give him your request. You're supposed to. But that request is not this stubborn, I'm going to pray to you, give it to me. It's, God, if it seemed right to you. God, if it's okay with you. God, if this works. God, if this is according to your will. Well, no wonder God works it out for Esther. Or the king works it out for Esker, Esther. Look at the last thing about the prayer. Verse number 5. And I be pleasing in his eyes. Let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman the son of Hamadatha the Agagite. The last thing I notice is she says, And if I be pleasing in his eyes. You ever stop and ask God what his purpose is in your life? See, we talked about having favor. but, But if I'm pleasing... If where I'm going and where I'm heading with my prayer, with my request, if where I'm heading with my life is pleasing you, if it's according to your purpose and your plan, then here's what I'm asking you to do for me. But I want things to be done in a way that's got your favor according to your will, according to your purpose, according to your plan. Meaning when she's making the request, she almost makes such a desperate request in a way that would lead you to believe that she's going to be okay with the king making whatever decision he wants to make. Now, only God can write like that. Because if if it wasn't worded exactly the way it's worded in your Bible, then I couldn't be making this application this morning. I'm basically 100% sure that when she went to the guy, she was very serious about what she wanted to happen. But God, God has her word it like this. God shows us something about prayer. God interweaves throughout the story this, this amazing practical application to teach us how to approach the king when things are a mess and we want things worked out according to his will. And then you see what comes of it. You know what we're told about in the New Testament? The reason we don't get answers to our prayers is because we ask to consume it upon our own lusts. God I really want God I really don't like this circumstance God you've got to fix this God here's the way I want it fixed If I just had fill in the blank This problem would be better If you just provide fill in the blank It would go away If you just fix fill in the blank It'd go away Those kind of prayers don't ever see God work it out Because God needs a servant Who is willing to allow God to do whatever God's going to do, whenever God's going to do it, and however God's going to do it. and won't run from Him and fight back against Him and push against it. Get bitter, get angry, get frustrated, get jaded. Allow the devil into your mind, into your heart, into your thoughts. God needs a servant who is God's. And so much God's that even if God doesn't do what you want Him to do, you're still going to serve God anyhow because He's a good God And He knows things we don't know. And He's got an eternal perspective. And He will work things out. My last point, and I'll let you go. We see the promotion that God gives. The prayers of God's servant. But then there's preservation that comes from God. It's one that's important to me, personally. I don't want to quit. And I've said this for years, and I will keep saying it, but it feels more real to me now than when I ever said it younger. When I said it younger, I said it stomping and pounding on the pulpit and spitting and veins popping out in my neck. Because there was this, I still got it, you understand? I just want you to know I still got all that. But there was this passion that would just burn me up. Because I'd seen people quit. I'd seen the devastation of preachers wind up out of the ministry. And it scares me. And it makes me angry. And it makes me hurt. It makes me a lot of things. And I don't want to be that guy. And so there was this just stubborn will. Like you can beat me half to death. But I'll just keep crawling the right direction. And now I'm beginning to realize that if God doesn't preserve me older preachers that are still at it are not at it because they're so passionate and so tough and listen real preachers the real ones not this modern day junk you see everywhere real preachers they're some of the toughest guys you ever met in your life they're not you know they're just not I'm sorry not the real ones but I know that their strength and their toughness and their resilience and their character and their desire to do right that's what makes a real man his character any man can jump from woman to woman. Any man can shoot stuff in his veins and dump stuff down his throat and stagger around. And A real man's a man with character. Do you know a man's character is not strong enough to carry him through the pressures of this life? You know what it takes? It takes the preservation of God. Now, Now here's the problem this is the problem. In and of ourselves, we have a desire to be preserved. Self preservation, self propagation, and self gratification. Those are three things that all of you, every last person in this room, you're wired with naturally. So, all that selfishness that's innately in us desires to preserve ourselves, propagate ourselves, and gratify ourselves. And those three things are constantly going to work against God's will. You've got to get to a point where you allow Him to preserve you, Him to protect you, and you're relying on Him to get the thing done, Him to work it out. The preservation comes from God. I've figured out the only way this ministry is going to keep going and survive is God. That's just it because things have spun out of my control more than once. I mean, some people, when they sit down and begin talking to me and find out, like, stories, like, wow, I, had no, I was here and I had no idea things were that bad. Like, good. By the way, nothing's going on right now. We're doing good as far as I know, so if anything is going on, don't tell me. I mean, come talk to me. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> but you know what I had to figure out? When, like, man, I don't know how this church is going to make it through this. I had to figure out it's God that preserves us. You know what I think I'm figuring out, at least intellectually, I hope and pray spiritually and emotionally that it's actually real inside me. I think it is. It's only God that's going to keep me together. And man, when God begins to do that and you know God's doing it, it is a wonderful thing. I've had conversations with some of you like, man, I'm struggling and I don't want to quit and I don't want to wind up where I've seen some of the other brethren go and I'm really worried about that. And I'll tell you the answer to that. You want to make it? I'll tell you the answer. The king. The king. Some of you got problems coming in your future. Whew. I want the church to grow. Okay, but that means you pastor people through all the ups and downs and struggles and, and you bear their burdens and you feel what they feel. Some of you got problems coming in the future. You need God. You need him to preserve you because if he don't, you ain't going to be sitting there. And the issue is, whether you have God or not, you're going to have your problems. So you can be that jaded, bitter, miserable, wrecking your life off on your own, or you can keep your hind end in church and keep walking with Jesus Christ and get some help and let God work some things out in your life, and in the end, you'll be happy you did. The preservation comes from the king, but let me just give you you the thought, okay? I'm not going to take you down through all the verses because I want to wrap it up. Here's the very interesting thing about this story. The king wrote down a law. And he gave that law to Haman. And that law was a curse against Israel. Right? Yes. Now when the king puts it in writing, it can't be reversed. The writing that that sinful king put down was a writing to destroy all God's people. That writing's not getting reversed. Now wait a second. <laughs> this is a destructive writing against God's people that cannot be reversed. What are we going to do now? You got to let the king work it out. See that book in your lap? The Bible? You know what that thing says? It says that under the sun Vanity of vanities All is vanity You know what that thing On your lap says It says that you're all Sold under sin You know what it says It says God will judge sin It says that if you're A child of God Then he will chasten you And if you don't get chastened You're a bastard Not a son That's that that book In your lap It says if you serve Jesus Christ, he'll bless you, and he'll reward you in the end. And if you don't, he's going to judge you for messing up. And then it says you're all going to mess up. That's that book that's sitting right in your lap right now, right? And it's not reversible. (laughs) That's a bad message. (laughs) So you know what the king did? Because he wrote down, he knew it was happening, he wrote it all down. You know, he, he found a way of escape from the law he already made and gives you a choice to take the way of escape and that's in that book in your lap you know what the king does he says alright I write things down and they're not reversible so since I already wrote that down and they're all cursed under sin and they're all in a mess I'll find a way of escape for them that's why he gives a new testament thank God for that you know what the king can do Even though, well, it is what it is. I messed it all up, and and, I'm divorced, and my kids, and I didn't raise them right, and I got in too late in life, and I made so many mistakes, and now you reap what you sow, and I'm stuck with the mistakes I made, and it's my fault, and if I hadn't done it, it would all be different. And if I'd have known then when I was 20 and 25 raising kids what I know at 45 or 55 or 65, I messed it all up. You were 25. Nobody knows at 25 or 30 what they know at 60. You can't go back and fix the unchangeable law of what was written. You're stuck with it, it's not changing what you did forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before I trust toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus what's back there is back there but when you get to the king and you realize that he can and will promote when he wants and he does hear and answer prayer and you put those prayers before him the right way then that same king that made the rules and won't break the rules he made he finds a way to help you out of your mess he finds a way to fix it and he says now put this into action and if you do you'll get a good result and he preserves his people ain't that wild how he gives them an action plan and now we're gonna see it next week I'm gonna stop now we'll see it next week but he puts that action plan into place and then he says now go do what I showed you to do and if you go do what I showed you to do it'll all work itself out but he's the one that had to find the solution and look at how the chapter ends look down at the last couple verses and we're done Look down at the bottom. Verse 15, Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white with a great crown of gold with a garment of fine linen and purple and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad and the Jews had light. Man, don't that sound good already? We're just starting in the winter but I like light. I was preaching and the sun popped out and I was telling God thanks. I like, I like light. And Gladness and joy and honor. You know what I want? I want to be happy. Don't you? Yeah, yeah, I got problems. We all got problems. But I want to be happy. I don't want to sit around like, you ever get around somebody like that where you get to where you don't even want to ask them how they're doing anymore? Like, look, in America, we say, hey, how you doing? The response is fine, thank you, how are you? The response to that is Fine. Listen, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> now listen, listen, listen. If you're really not doing good, I care, and I, and I do want to know, and I want to help you, and I want to pray for you. I'm not being weird about that. But do you ever get around people that are always, always stuck in their problems? Do you want to live that way? I don't. But you know, without some help from Him, You ain't got much light, you ain't got much joy, you ain't got much gladness. You got life in a sinful world that's painful and difficult and confusing and spins out of control. No matter how much you try to control it, things come your way you didn't see coming. And things are coming your way you don't see coming. And if you don't have him in the driver's seat working it out, you're going to be miserable. But when he's in the driver's seat and you're trusting in him... He'll promote you in his time. He'll answer your prayers and he'll preserve you. And in the meanwhile, he fills you with light and joy and gladness and blessing and he is a great, great, great God. So you got some problems this morning? Let him work them out. And he will. But you get frustrated with it, you push against it, you run away and you keep the problems but you don't get the solution. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.